This is the first time in a long time that we've had a guest speaker. Years ago, we would have someone come out and talk to us <coughs> once in a while. Um, and uh, it's been a great success. And I really appreciate Stefan coming out and all of you Stefan fans coming uh, along with them. Um, lots of folks that we haven't seen before. Uh, and we hope you're coming in. Uh, so, without further ado, Stefan. I'm used to like podiums and flashlights and dancers, and so we'll keep it lucky. And I think actually my fans are just called step fans. <laughs> it's not for the joke, and not a very good one. Uh, so I uh, I run a uh, a philosophy show uh, on the web. It's the the in the taller than Mickey Rooney contest. It's the largest and most popular philosophy show in the world. Uh, it's uh, had about 20 million downloads or YouTube views. Um, uh, and since 2005, which I believe is about 4% of the Lady Gaga video, so I'm very proud of that. And um, I'm also a, well, I guess not a, an objectivist. You may have heard of Ayn Rand. Anybody? Yes. Uh, a little bit, right? A lot of us get a start there, right? So, yeah, when I was about 16, a friend of mine uh, was into the band Rush, whose drummer is a big fan of uh, Ayn Rand, so uh, he introduced me to, to that way of thinking, and I was an objectivist for about 20 years. Then I was involved in a serious head injury. No, I was in a, I was in a years, and I, I, I never felt hugely comfortable with two areas of objectivism around uh, ethics and around politics. So I tried to sort of, with all due respect to the great smoky Russian goddess of reason, I tried to just push a little further forward. Sorry, you need to. I was trying to find out about the garlic bread with cheese and the. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, both for you. <laughs> so uh, I, I went a little bit further than some of the objectivist theory with, you know, I'm 90% objectivist, so so I'm very much, I think, along the lines of, of libertarianism and objectivism. And so rather than having me glare at you increasingly drunken people for the next hour or so, I thought I'd like to just ask a couple of questions to get a sense of, of where people are in the room so that I could sort of guide what it is that I'd like to say a little bit closer. So. The, the big divide that I see in communicating to people about freedom and really what we're into is, is voluntary, cooperative, non-violent solutions to social problems, right? I mean, I think we all recognize that there are sick people who need care who can't afford it. There are poor people who need aid who can't afford it. I think that the major objective we have is to the inefficiency of government programs. Um, inefficiency isn't, does anybody know a word like this? I've tried to think of it over the years and I, I've never quite figured one out. When you have a plan and you fail, like, you know, you want to go north and, and you fail, then you might just end up where you are again. Oh, I didn't go north, I failed. But when you end up like four light years south, that's a failure of, what is the word for that? Like, biblical art force. Fubar. No, because I mean, welfare state programs haven't just failed in that they haven't really helped the poor, but, you know, Canada by some measures is over a trillion, uh, $1.5 trillion in debt, which means that the poverty programs are going to collapse, and of course the education hasn't just failed to educate people, it's actually indoctrinated them in a huge uh, mess of false beliefs. So. 
it's uh, uh, there's a need to, a word for government programs. I still haven't figured it out. If you ever figure it out, let me know. But it's not just a failure. It's just a massive. Boondoggle is Boondoggle isn't quite enough of a. You know, you need an angrier word than boondoggle. I think you should make one up. You just make one up. Do we have any suggestions? A combination of fucking shit. Cluster frackle baggins or something like that. We'll come up with something. But anyway, so. So, of course, we object to, to government programs because they achieve the opposite of their intended effect, right? So you want to save people, like, as you may know from the statistics, from the post-war period until the 19, early 1960s, just before the Great Society programs of LBJ, in North America, poverty was falling by about a percentage point a year, and we were on our way to eliminating all but truly involuntary poverty, you know, like where somebody has just had six million days of bad luck in a row and, and everything is just really awful. So poverty was on its way to being eliminated and my particular argument is that the government didn't like that poverty was on the way to being eliminated because if you eliminate poverty in the same way as if you eliminate crime, you eliminate a, fun uh, a functional reason for government. So it's almost like, oh my heavens, the problem being solved, let's intervene with a solution so that it doesn't go away because after the... Um, Great society programs and the welfare, modern welfare state as we know it came into effect, um, the underclass became hardened, right? So there used to be this flexibility, right? In the, in the US, this is sort of where I've done most of my studying because that's where uh, the audience is. There used to be this flexibility, right? So people would be poor and then they'd be richer again and then maybe they're poor again. But since the 1960s, this really hardened into these permanent underclasses. Think of those inner cities with those schools with the metal detectors and those people have so little hope of even getting into the middle class. You think of the fall of the manufacturing industry and the end of, um, I think what we would all recognize as the benevolent aspects of unionism, like voluntarily together to fight for better conditions is great, uh, roping in the power of the state to enforce things on, on uh, employers not so great. So there has been a real hardening in society. The whole point of these programs was to get rid of the last bits of poverty that we're getting being gotten rid of already. But what's happened is they've created a permanent underclass overshadowed by this monstrous <coughs> debt. And that, of course, is going to result in a huge expansion of poverty, as we've seen, and as we're going to see a lot more in the future. So <coughs> the approach that I took for many years when talking to people about freedom was to say, these things don't work. These programs don't work. And um, that required that I become the galactic international expert on everything, right? And we've all been through that, right? Yeah. So you say, well, but unemployment insurance doesn't really work. And here are some statistics. And people say, well, I've heard these other statistics. You're like, let me Google. I'll be right back to you, right? You have to have you know, these Google on things that you know. Oh, you can this on Google, right? Statistics, and then somebody has counter statistics and so on. I didn't find that really worked very well. I mean, I got to type a lot. And I got to look a lot of things up. And, um, but there's always some partisan approach to, to facts that people could find that counters yours. So I just felt a lot of times we were basically just throwing graphs at each other and they were just hitting in the middle of detonator and it wasn't really getting anywhere. So in about 2004, I began to switch to what I call the argument from morality. And the argument, this is not to say that you don't use that argument, but I sort of want to highlight the difference between them. Because I found that has made a huge difference in the degree of traction that I'm able to get with people. It has reduced the ridiculous process that I was going through of trying to become the expert of everything all the time. And it has, the show has reached about, my show has reached about a quarter million people, give or take. It's hard to tell with the internet and, and YouTube, but about a quarter million people 
probably about 20% of them, at least according to rough calculations, have made some really significant inroads to, um, I'm trying to do that in my head. 20%. Uh, what's that, 30,000? 50. 50. Ooh, that's great. So, about 50, people, and, and probably about 5 or 10% have really gone, gone whole hog, you know, like uh, have really, really gotten into this. You said, Me. whole hog means hand all the way up in the air. <laughs> and a lot of it had to do with this argument for morality. So, I'll, I'll give you the brief outline of it, and then you can tell me whether you've used it or whether you think it would be helpful. The argument for morality is, I don't care one little bit what the effects of government programs are. I don't care. They could work, they could not work. I don't care to look into the statistics. I don't care to look into the history. I don't care to look into the origins of it. I don't care whether they work or not, because it fundamentally doesn't matter whether it works or not. For me, trying to figure out whether government programs work or not, and how badly they work, is like saying, well, so what happens to your money after some guy steals it? I don't care. The fact is that the money is stolen. That's the problem. What they do with it afterwards is a distraction from the true ethics of the situation. So let me just, I just want to get a general sense. When you take an approach to debating with people or, or arguing with people or enlightening them with your rubber hose of reason, um, <laughs> some people use a truncheon. Do you, do you take this pragmatic uh, argue the stats approach, or do you take the uh, those rat bastards with guns take my money approach? Um, hands up those who take the statistics and facts and government programs don't work. I'm sorry? It doesn't get you anywhere, but it gets you to Google. So, and you're a much more uh, uh, educated man uh, because of that. And how many people take the rat bastards take my money approach? <laughs> all right, all right, so my speech is over. I think we're... <laughs> and, and so the people who've taken the... Can you just give me a brief sort of uh, explanation, somebody put their hand up, of, of how you would approach somebody who says, we need more of a stimulus package. Stimulus package totally sounds like something that ends up in my junk folder. Anyway. Um, anybody? My money, I'll spend it the way I want. It's your money. You'll spend it the way that you want. So, so how would you then create? How would you describe that as ethics? Because for most people, that's that's selfish. But, but let me first pause with my your heritage. My heritage? Yeah, because it, it resonates with me in ways I can't even explain. Right, I born and raised in Trump. And uh, so, when you talk to people about uh, it's my money, I spend it the way that. How, do you get this selfish thing back? No, I like to tell a story. Uh, the story I tell is of, uh, uh, of an uncle of mine who's uh, liberal. And uh, I was telling him once that uh, I didn't like about how much taxes uh, the government was taking. He said, well, you can't reduce taxes because then they won't spend the money. And it's bad. So you have to take the money from the people so that you can spend it so you can stimulate the economy. And I think that's a perfect example of how to get it wrong. And what you do is you let the people spend the money and then you don't need the government to do all of these things. It's their money. They can go to a movie. They can go to a restaurant. They can... And you know what else he said? He said, you can't let the people have the money because they'll save it. <laughs> which, which is absolutely critical because... Does he think they'll save it by putting it under a mattress so nobody can use it? Right. It's the government does not want you to have your money because you might do the worst thing you could possibly do, which is not spend it. Or provide your own security? Right. Or invest towards your own retirement? 
Jeez. Okay, now give, I, I may have missed that, but tell me where the, the real ethical core of that argument is. Because there's a certain amount of, well, people will do this if you don't do that, but where's the, just have me sort of really zero in on the ethical side of that, the moral argument. People should be allowed to save their own money. People should be allowed to control their own future. People should be allowed to make their own decisions. So then the argument is, if people aren't allowed to do that, but it's immoral, like if the government then takes, I mean, this is where I'm trying to get to. It's efficient, actually. My, my, uh-huh. uh, my claim is efficiency. Right. Okay. And I, I agree with you. Those inefficient arguments or the arguments from inefficiency are compelling to us. Right. I started, right? But they don't seem to go over the fence too well, right? Uh, if, you, if you've ever read Under the Dome by Stephen King, I sort of feel like we're trying to throw them outside the dome. It's like nine miles or something, right? So it's hard to get them out. So may somebody else have an argument where they really focus on the ethics? I... I should, well, I've done that. It's more the result that happens. When I do that, and when I bring it to them, the morality of the situation, <laughs> it, it gets people angry. Yeah. And that's, yeah. That, I, I really, I was really listening to your podcast, and I tried it for about a year, and I and within that time I had two or three, like, I was very calm, <laughs> but the person I was speaking to was shouting really? at me and very angry. And Did I, you do this at the Houses of Parliament? It was, <laughs> no, it, was, it, was it was Christmas. Oh, was it, oh no, was it a family oh, gathering? Yes. All right. <laughs> Santa drink his big bag of evil. Kids <laughs> crying. No. Yes. Oh no. Why is daddy yelling? Wow, that's not you, right? No, no. Okay, so are you now the official Grinch of Libertarian Christmas past or something? I'm the, I'm the... Don't set him off. Whatever you do, don't don't use the T word. Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah, it is. It is is a very explosive argument, for sure. I I genuinely believe that no one can get through the day without feeling like they're doing some, some good. And no human being can look in the mirror and say, I'm a bad dude, right? I mean, everybody has some stories to why they're good. So when you begin to put libertarian ethics, property rights, or non-initiation of force into people's conversations, it is very explicit. What what happened afterwards? <laughs> he apologized a couple of days later, but he lost his cool. I mean, we've never talked about that sort of thing since. Right. And, and because of that, I've, I've realized that I, I personally feel that I do better when I approach things that saying, well, I'm not saying that this is, that you're advocating people using force against me. It's just, that's how I feel. I try to use softer language, I guess, when I, when, while still bringing it from the argument of morality. Right, right. And how's that been going? Better. 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 Okay. But I still feel like I'm being kind of weak, weak spine <laughs> about it. Well, you know, I completely understand. I mean, getting people yelling at you in your face is, particularly at a family gathering, that's that's pretty intense, man. There's no amount of, like, pound cake that's going to shove those roads back down. Right? Yeah, no, I sympathize. I mean, I've had the same experience um, on a continual basis. I mean, so it is it is a very challenging situation. I think it's I think it's important, but you know, I have the social skills of a dish, so I mean, it may be different for other people. Yeah. Uh, what about anybody else taking that? I, I generally start with, you know, what what is what is a fair tax percentage of your income? Is 100% fair? Oh, Richard, can you just make sure you get the audience members of your Is 100% fair? Because that would really imply I work only for a group of people who then take the money by force, which is directly slavery. That's the basic definition. If, if somebody owns 100% of your labor output, it's slavery. 
Um, is 90% fair? Is 80% fair? Where is that magic line that says it's, it's just and moral for them to take that percentage of my money? Uh, and, and I try to get the response of them giving a number that they say is fair, but I say, but really, you're just grasping at straws and that number will always go up when the people in charge of that number have the right to force and the right to take away your money that you labor for. Um, so there's morality, right? Just the initiation of force to take your property, right? Exactly. Right, so no matter what number you come up with, I'm happy with 10% slavery or 5% slavery, you're still allowing for the initiation of force, so you're breaking the moral, moral mm -hmm. principle, right? I mean, the moral principle of non-initiating force and respecting property rights is it's kind of binary, you know? I mean, there are some gray areas, so who knows, right? Like, if you're starving to death, you'll probably steal a banana, and who's gonna throw you in jail? But, you know, 99.999, it's pretty binary, right? Yeah. So, and what, how's that been? You know, it, it, it you hear generally makes the conversation not get anywhere, because they don't have a, a, a good response. They try to move to other topics and discussion. Well, well, what about police? And how would you stop people from dumping uh, pollution into the ocean? It's, well, we've never really tried ownership of the ocean, so uh, it's hard to tell. And it worked out really well for the car industry out east, right? Yeah, government I mean, it's, ran so everything. it's like a, private property ownership has always prevented rampant pollution because people don't want to be polluted. Right. Uh, when you have the commons, they will get polluted. And when nobody can find a, a means to, to enforce protection of their property because it's called the commons or you don't really get that, that clear definition, but generally the, the binary argument that I, I make is lost uh, as they try to, to say, well, you need to pay for some things, you need to pay for some things. I say, well, what do what you about the roads, the roads, the roads, the roads? The roads is the best one. I always say, well, uh, I think that a, a, an automobile company would have an incentive to make sure there's roads if they want to. Well, you build a housing places. development somewhere out there. What do you know? Build any roads to it? Yeah. Yeah. And, and they say, well, then you know. But some people will, will not want to put into maintaining the roads. So I say, well, a lot of people don't put into maintaining the roads today. So how is it any different? I think I think most people who are statists have never worked as a waiter. <laughs> no, but I mean, if you set up, you said, oh, I got a business model, right? Which is that I'm only going to pay a small portion of my server's fees, and the rest of it's going to be voluntarily paid for by customers. People would say, why on earth would they pay for that? Yeah. They just, it, it's completely voluntary, then, right? So, but people do, right? So if you, you, you realize that the power of, even if you're in some town just for one night and then you leave, you're never gonna see that waiter again. You're still gonna feel like crap by giving him a small tip. So you just do it because that's the thing you do. I mean, people understand it. Um, anybody else? One yeah. um, I've tried using lately is uh, to ask, friend or neighbor, would you take a, a gun to your neighbor and insist that he pay for your child's operation? And they usually say, well, of course not. And, well, why not? And your elected representative, you've, you've authorized him to do that for you. How does that make it right? And so far, it's made people sort of stop and think, I think. I hope. You had something you wanted to? Yeah, um, I uh, I try to go from a perspective of like, what's the relationship you really have with the government? Because if you look at it, you've got the communications pretty much coming down from the top. I don't really get to communicate up to the government. They take from me 
And they don't really care about me. You know, Stephen Harper doesn't care. They don't know me. They don't know anything about me. Okay. Um, so if you look at it from a, in terms of a relationship, it's pretty messed up. It's just not like, it doesn't make you feel real good about yourself. You know, if, if you were to use like, well, this is good, and if this, they're treating me this way, then that must be the right way to treat me. Well, I would say that, well, I don't really feel like I'm being treated very well in right. this relationship. Right. And, I mean, the history of moral advancement within the species is a continual history of institutions that have existed since the dawn of time, which everybody just accepts, like we accept gravity and, I guess, tipping. All these moral institutions, like like slavery, or the subjugation of women, or the subjugation of children, I mean, these they all existed since the dawn of time. These, these violent hierarchies called states, they've all existed since the dawn of time. And there's a few crazy matchups like us who look at those things from the perspective of objective ethics, not, not from what have we inherited and what are we just kind of used to. And of course, every false moral ideal in society has all of its, quote, virtues pounded into the heads of children through various kinds of indoctrination, whether that comes through certain kinds of religion or it comes through the state, you get this pounding of the lies about these institutions into people's heads as children, which is very hard to undo. I still, when I'm arguing forcefully for uh, a voluntary solution to a statist problem, I still, within my head, have to kind of push back some of those propagandist things, because they just, all those answers, you all have those debates in your head about the social contract and all that kind of stuff, you know, like, well, yeah. <laughs> you know, say, oh, it's a, it's, a, it's a voluntary relationship because it's a social contract. Oh, well, if it's voluntary, then we shouldn't have to use force. We shouldn't have to have taxation. Oh, well, we can't have that. It has to have taxation. Well, then it's not a contract. Anyway, we'll go back and forth like that. But it is very hard for most people to look at the world without this sort of monster flood of history coming down through their brains. And it is very hard for people to question the ethical roots of their society. Now, I think we can all accept, after the fact, it's all perfectly obvious, right? Nobody says, let's go back to slavery. Like, nobody <laughs> says, let's go back to women not being able to own property or enter into contracts. Okay, maybe a few people in Afghanistan, but nobody in the West really does that. <laughs> and so after the fact, when the band-aid, so to speak, has come off, it all seems perfectly clear and obvious. And how could people have, have ever thought otherwise? But if you look at slavery, you know, a cozy 50,000-year history back to the dawn of time, and it was completely accepted in every conceivable society as the norm, as natural. And the way that these things ended, as far as I can ever research, and if anybody, if anybody knows any better, let me know. But these things ended because people relentlessly pounded at the ethical root, the moral contradictory root of these institutions. Right? Nobody won the argument against slavery by saying slavery is economically inefficient. Of course it is. <laughs> Right, But nobody goes to the ramparts, nobody raises their muskets high in the night sky because something's economically inefficient. The people, mo people are motivated to take up a cause, to fight for justice and virtue because they believe in the ethics at the root of what is being proposed. And I spent a long time avoiding that, and I spent a lot of time taking bullets for focusing on that. Right, so. The ethical argument, which is uh, very simple, obviously, is, is the initiation of force is immoral. And a government is an institution that rests upon the initiation of force. That is its sole defining characteristic. It is a group of individuals who claim the right to initiate force in a given geographical area. The initiation of force is immoral. 
and, and it comes from you know, a very sort of simple universalization, which is to take the rules of kindergarten and just blow them up to society. No, seriously. I mean, I, my daughter is 20 months old, so I spend the whole time going, don't grab, don't steal, don't push, don't kick, don't write, because she's, you know, hey, something shiny, grab. So am I in the iTunes store. But, um, but it really is just taking those basic ethics that we all learned as children around respect for property, respect for individuals, not using force to get what you want, and extrapolating that. It, it's so much simpler in society if you just have one set of ethical rules rather than one set of rules for children and then a complete other set of rules for the rulers of society. But it does require focusing not on the effects of what the government does, but at the moral root and cause of where the government is. Let me go back to your family. Did this guy, it, who was it? Uh, doesn't matter, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. <laughs> doesn't matter. No, make up a name. Call him Sasha. Okay. Sasha the statist. Okay. Okay, so um, did he get the moral side of things? I mean, I know he rejected it, but did he. I think, yes. Yes. But he, what he, his issue was, and I think a good a critique of my argument was, I he would say something like, well, if you don't like the government doing this or that, why don't you leave? And I'd say, okay, so if someone who is uncomfortable with force being used against them, if the only option for them is to leave their their area, would you say the same thing about women in Afghanistan who are having their genitals mutilated? Oh, dude. <laughs> I know. Oh, man. I know. <laughs> so it's not, not small, are we? That, 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 okay, it's a little pin. <laughs> exactly. So now I say something like, well, if the government was to come out and say everyone is forced to paint their house blue, would you say, well, that person should paint his house blue or leave? Right. So that's a better. I think part of it was, you know, my argument style. Well, you can say extreme. I mean, th those are very real, obviously huge concerns, right? I mean, female genital mutilation is a monstrous concern throughout the world. Yeah, but would it be right to say, well, if you don't want to have your genitals mutilated, you should just leave the country. Like, right. Well, and of course, it, it is fundamentally accepting the premise that the government owns everything. And if you don't like what these people with guns do, you have to leave the country. I mean, that's completely insane, because you can't universalize that rule. Right, so if you have a rule called Stephen Harper owns Canada for four years or whatever, right? Stephen Harper owns, owns Canada, and uh, so he sets the rules, and if you don't like the rules, then you can leave. Well, then I'll just set my own rules, that I don't like Stephen Harper's rules, and he has to leave, right? I mean, you can't universalize that moral premise. That may be enough. I always try to go with universalization, right? So if it's a rule that one small group of individuals owns the whole country, can set all the rules, then why is it only they have that right? Why don't we... Why couldn't it have that? Why can't everybody have that right? And, and Noam Chomsky, though he is a status lefty to some degree, has some fantastic arguments around universalization. I mean, he's got one that it just blew my mind, right? He's, he was saying that uh, the US claims the right to go into South America and napalm farmers' fields where they suspect they're growing poppies, poppies or other kinds of drugs. So he said, well, so these things are dangerous to people's health, and so uh, we have the right to go and, and firebomb their farms. Well, then wh why doesn't the world have the right to firebomb uh, tobacco farms in uh, South Carolina? Because they're growing crops that are harmful to the rest of the world. And, and once you get those kinds of universalizations, like why are the moral rules not universalized? I mean, to me, that's a, a way to oppose it without bringing up such inflammatory, so to speak. Yes, yes. I think if, if you were perhaps more morally sensitive, he would say, 
well, I'm not going to defend female genital mutilation, so I'm going to have to concede this point. But obviously, he escalated for whatever reason. But, <laughs> but the universalization, I think, is, is the key. Because people claim virtue, virtue has to be universal. It has to be. It can't be like, I like ice cream. It has to be. Because if it's not universal, then no one's bound by it. You can't have any laws. Right? You, you can't have anything that's, that, that's binding on anybody else. Like, uh, I like ice cream is not binding on you. You don't have to like ice cream. It's just, I had a dream about an elephant last night. That doesn't mean you all have to have had a dream about an elephant last night. But if, if you, we're talking about ethics, we're talking about virtue, and I've got a free book on the web if you want to read, but if you're talking about ethics and virtue, then it has to be universal. It has to be, otherwise it's not binding on, anything, on anyone or anything. It's just a personal opinion or a personal preference. The moment that somebody says something is binding on you to accept, they're talking about universal preferences. And that, then it just has to be universal. By social contracts. Why can't we all come up with a social contract, since it is a function of the human mind to create a social contract? Why is it only a few people in Ottawa get to create a social contract? Because it's not universal. It's only universally binding. But if it's universally binding, it must be universal for everyone to create it. Otherwise, it's just a con, as we, as we all know. So you think he may have gotten the ethics, right? Mm -hmm. Now, here's the challenge. I'll, I'll, I'll toss out a, a moral moral quandary. It's one that I've spent years hammering at, and, and I've had some success and some not success, but I'll throw it out and see what you think. What is our relationship with people who support the state? It's a very, very tough question, right? Now, I will sort of argue that the people who support the state, and without going into the differences between a purely stateless society and libertarian society, I think we would all agree that a 90% reduction would probably be about right. And, 99.9 would probably be even better, and at some point there'd be a vanishing point where there'd be one guy calling himself the state living in his parents' basement or something, right? So without, with putting all of that aside, people who support the state as it is, right? The state that throws people in jail for drug crimes, the state that starts wars, the state that runs up national debts, the state that drugs children, the state that miseducates the young, that state we all recognize as a pretty vile uh, institution. Before people know about the ethical arguments, to me, they're in a state of nature. Uh, you can't morally condemn somebody who's never been exposed to a particular moral argument, because that's asking them to invent the entire history of ethics on their own, which is impossible. right? So it's sort of like saying to a doctor in the 14th century, oh, that guy was terrible. He never prescribed antibiotics. Well, they weren't around, right? So he said, I don't know, you've got a demon and put a hole in his head or something. I don't know what they did back then. Something stupid, right? But it wasn't stupid for the time, because that's all the knowledge that they had. So a guy in ancient Mesopotamia saying the world is flat isn't an idiot, right? Guy in Toronto, you know, perhaps a little bit more on the idiot side, because, you know, that one's pretty much a given that it's a banana shape. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I have darts. So, uh, so before people understand or they get the moral argument for the state, State of nature, get out of jail, free card, no harm, no foul, to me, right? I think why it got so explosive for you and why it gets so explosive for other people when you bring up the ethical argument is you're putting the light on, you're turning a light on. As that which is seen can never be unseen, right? And so once people have heard taxation is the initiation of force, once people have heard that the drug war is, is criminal by any reasonable moral standard, once people have understood that the national debt is selling the unborn foreigners completely a vile trade. Once they get the basic ethics of the society that they live in, and then they reject it, 
that is a challenging thing. And that's why I think people resist this aspect of the conversation around the ethics. And it's why we're all drawn to arguments from effect. What's going to happen? How is this going to be fixed? Well, let's argue about how the roads will be built. Or let's argue about how healthcare will be provided. Or let's argue about how schooling will be provided. Because that doesn't get to that core moral thing where the relationship either breaks through or, as you found with Sasha the status, it becomes avoided. Right? Because if you try and put those, you start trying to put those magnets together, right? Of, of, of an ethical illumination, a moral illumination. And it's the same, we're not the first, right? And we won't be the last. Hopefully we'll be close to the last, but we're not the first. What do you do in the South in 1840 if you're an abolitionist and your brother is a passionate and proactive slave owner? It's tough. It's really, really tough. And I think it's those relationships that keep getting us towards the less volatile arguments that we have with people. And I would also say, and this is, I don't have statistics, obviously, other than my own experience and the experience of some people I've talked to about this. I was vastly less successful, though vastly more at peace with people, when I was doing the arguments from effect rather than the arguments from morality. Because the arguments from morality change relationships. I mean, if you can imagine that, right? I mean, and, and if you don't think so, then just try whip it out. I mean, the argument from morality. <laughs> Because it, it does it does change things, uh, and this is the sort of the reports back that I get from people who are trying out this you know fabulous new whatever we're calling it right this laser sword that sometimes takes off the other person's uh, argument sometimes your own hand and whatever right but but this this is the challenge right so the way I sort of analogize it that I'll ask you what you guys think there are certain crimes that will only be committed if there's a getaway car right so if they're robbing a bank somewhere downtown Lord knows I driving in, it was pretty tough. They're not going to rob the bank unless there's a getaway car, because they just they just kind of get away. Now, the state to me is the thieves, they're the robbers, they're the ones going in with the, you know, the balaclavas and the whatever, right? But the people who support the state, to me, are driving the getaway car. And the way that I view libertarians is that we go up to people who are sitting there saying, I'm just waiting for Brother Jimmy there. He's, uh, he's picking up a six-pack, and we're going to go drive off somewhere, right? Um, and it, apparently it's really cold in the store, so he needed all these clubbers you know, <laughs> you know, uh, and all that, right? And he's, it's Halloween, so he's going dressed as a criminal. But he doesn't know, right? He doesn't know the ethics of what's going on in the bank. And we're coming along, we're sitting there, leaning down in the car, we're saying, Jimmy's a criminal. Right? Jimmy's a criminal. Right? And, and then we even we show him the closed feed. I don't know, some magic iPod app. <laughs> iPod app for that criminal crime in progress, right? <laughs> so we show him, we show them that, that Jimmy is holding up the bank and he's the getaway car, right? Well, that's a tough situation for the person in the car, right? Because beforehand, they didn't know. They didn't know. Now, they at least have been exposed to the argument that, that this is the reality of what's happening and so when we come up and we point out that the government is around the initiation of force, that it's immoral, that it, it's predatory, that it's destructive, that it's violent, and so on, then we're basically saying, you know, Jimmy's robbing the bank, it's not a costume. Right. And that is a very, very tough moment for people. Because where do you go from there? Right? Where do you go from there in your relationship with people? Well, in my experience, you go one of two ways, right? Well, I guess three. One is that they're like, why thank you for that ethical illumination, I feel wonderful. No, they, they basically will, will you know, struggle and kick and all that, but they will eventually, and hopefully not too long, usually doesn't take too long, 
they'll go like, wow, you know, my mind has been blown, I took the red pill, and matrix, and blah, 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 right? And they just sort of wake up from this fog that, that people live in. Other people, <laughs> stash of the status, in, you know, right? It, it causes so much stress for them, and it really is stress. Right, because we're inviting people into a life of pretty perpetual stress and combat when we say come over to the libertarian side, right? I mean, am I wrong? I mean, how many people have ever said, damn, I wish I hadn't read that rant, or damn, I wish I hadn't you know, <laughs> got that newsletter, or talked to that guy who was really convincing? Because it is, a, it is a life of combat and stress, and it's not without its satisfactions, because the truth has its satisfactions, but it's a, it's a tough life sometimes, right? Is that is that a fair thing to say? Banging your head against the wall? Except eventually there you lose consciousness. This is like the banging head the smelling salts. Get up, do it again, right? And so it's, it's, it's hard work. It's hard work. And I think there would be a not a, not an honest soul among us who wouldn't occasionally just say, I can I need to take, like, too late to go back take that other pill? <laughs> this, is, this is really tough. Oh, yeah. I mean, especially people go through college. I mean, I remember going through college. I took a, a course called The Rise of Socialism and the Capitalist Response, taught by a Marxist professor who looked almost identical to a Ewok. And I was so eerie. Is that, what is that? Uh, anyway. <laughs> He had like a little band here, like a huge beard, and this little band looks like a raccoon. Anyway, uh, and so that was a tough course because I was very much in the free market and this and that, and so other people were just learning stuff, right? And I was fighting and fighting and, and all that. And, you know, in hindsight, it might have been a bit nicer if I'd learned about this stuff after school, and it's tough. So we're inviting people in, and I think they get that. Like, if I accept this moral argument, I am now at odds with my society in very fundamental ways. Human beings not so much designed to be at odds with their society. You know, we're kind of tribal. We like to get along. We like to not rock the boat too much. You know, except people like us again who got the wrong pill at birth or something, right? But, but so I think when you're saying to people, not here's an argument that's intellectual about the effects of an alternate way of organizing society. Like here's let's play uh, Simulacrum 3000 about how healthcare can be provided in the future. But when you're saying there's a fundamental moral error. The moral immorality at the core of our society and how we organize things and it's been around for tens of thousands of years and it continues because of propaganda and it continues because people won't take their personal ethics and apply them at a social level because we believe there's some other weird level up there where ethics is the complete reverse of wherever it is in our personal lives. It's what you were saying about you wouldn't go next door and say, my kid needs a bad education, right? Let's go, right? You hand over your money every month or that's it. Nobody would do that, or at least very few people would. But we believe that there's this weird opposite realm up there in society where that is not only allowed, it's good. And if you didn't do that, it would be really bad. So that we live in this weird, upside-down, topsy-turvy world of opposites. You know? I'd never do this in my private life. People say, how will a voluntary society work? It works like your day. I mean, because I don't <laughs> meet people who are like, I really want a job. I'm going to find out where that guy lives. I'm going to kidnap his children, and he's going to give me a job, right? The people don't live like that. They don't do that, right? I mean, if I ever do meet someone like that, it's like, oh, yeah, the guy's going to give me a job in the trunk of the car. I'm like, okay, <laughs> let's just find somebody else to debate with, right? So when, when we bring out the moral argument, you know, when we say to the guy in the getaway car, you are now participating in a crime, and this crime is only occurring because of your participation. That is a terrible, terrible moment. I believe, for the guy in the car, right? I mean, it's, it was a terrible moment for me when I first went, whoa, <laughs> whoa, you know, it's like Keanu Reeves goes on for like four decades, going, whoa, that's what libertarianism is, right? 
But it is, a, it is a very, very difficult thing. Uh, and I think that libertarianism has had a habit of focusing on the argument from effect. I think that it is challenging but important to focus on the argument from morality. Because it's my belief, and I, I put the case forward, you can tell me if I'm completely wrong about anything, of course, right? But it's my belief that we have, I think we'd all recognize we have vertically, vertical hierarchical societies, right? I mean, we have. Uh, politicians and, and uh, people at the top, uh, the, the, the uh, fascistic mercanto capitalists who are like, you know, like Bombardier, you know, all these government contracts for military and private things, who love the state, right? There's no enemy of the government like a big businessman sometimes. There's no friend of the government, sorry, like a yeah, yeah. big businessman sometimes. Right? Having worked in the software field and sold to a lot of big companies, I think I know a little bit about this, but oh yeah, they're just, oh, we love the state, right? I mean, the well, people think about the welfare is somewhere down there with people like Jane and Finch. That's nothing compared to what's going on in the, <laughs> oh, yeah. in the Quebec Windsor corridor. Anyway, um, so this is, we, we, I think we all recognize that there's this hierarchy in society, and we, we look up and we look up this hierarchy, but I don't think that that's where we need to look. I don't think that that's where the hierarchy really is. We have, I think that the, we could call it sort of quaintly the ruling class is maybe 1% of the population. Maybe two percent, right? The richest, whatever, right? Who own half of everything or whatever, and control the government and all that. We focus on those people a lot, and I spend a lot of time focusing on those people. But I don't really think that's where the state actually lives. I think that what results is a hierarchy, but that's not the cause. The cause is not the pyramid. The cause, I believe, is what happened at your family dinner. The cause is that we turn on each other when these moral truths are illuminated. That I believe is the real cause of the hierarchy. Because the question is, how on earth does 1% of the population rule 99% of the population? It can't. It's impossible. And it can't, even if it could happen now, it could never have happened 5,000 years ago. Because 5,000 years ago, the top were old. The young were, the young, strong of heart and, and so on, right? And a sword was a sword was a sword. There were no weapons of mass destruction 5,000 years ago or 2,000 years ago. So the only way that you could get a tribal hierarchy is, Anybody here not seen The Life of Brian movie? <laughs> you haven't? Okay, it's a Monty Python film, you should rent it. Because there's a fantastic scene in there where the revolutionaries all come in to take over the Roman uh, guards, to take down the Roman guards, and they begin arguing. Does anyone remember about what? It's been a while since I watched that scene. Do you remember? The uh, Palestinian liberation. Oh, the, uh, the name. They're arguing about their name. Right? <laughs> yeah, they're arguing about the name. The splitters. That's right. Right, right. So, so they start arguing. Oh, two, two of them show up, right? Yeah. So these two, two liberation armies show up to overthrow the Romans, and they start fighting with each other, People and they start hacking each other down, right? And the Romans are just leaning up on their swords, like. I guess we'll wait till they're done and <laughs> have a shield or two. Right? The people's front of Judea versus the Judean people's front. That's right. An epic battle. But this is the issue, right? Is that the, the state is the Romans leaning on their swords and the general population of the people fighting uh, with each other, right? That the state, my formulation, right or wrong, the state is, is horizontal. The state is slave on slave aggression. That is the state. What is profited is the result of that. Because we all keep each other in line. Right? We all we all work to keep each other in line. And the simple test for this, don't take anything I'm saying at face value, the simple test of this, how many people have been arrested here for being libertarians? No, okay. How many people have had conflicts in their personal relationships because they're libertarian? 
Yay! <laughs> See, the government is not oppressing you fundamentally. I mean, they don't need to, right? Because they all turn on each other. It's like a petri dish. They just all, all turn on each other. And I think it all hinges around this question of, of morality. And I think the reason, as I said, why we focus on these arguments from effect is because it just avoids that core moral disagreement that turns us against each other. I mean, it, it is, imagine, I mean, I know it's a I dream, I think it will happen someday, but just imagine if we could have a civilized, curious, and respectful conversation with our fellow inmates at the state of the system about, you know, truth and virtue and peace and possibility and voluntarism and non-aggression, just, you know, at, at a dinner table, right? So, so people could just talk about it without yelling, without, you know, name-calling, without volatility, without this you know, stepping around the landmine every time you see the guy for the next 30 years or whatever, right? I mean, just imagine what would happen if we could have that conversation. There'd be no state in like four days. Really, because everyone would be just like, whoa, whoa, that's right. It is the violation of the non-aggression principle. There, this is not how I live my life. I would morally condemn anyone in my life who did even a tenth of one, tenth of one percent of what the state does every five minutes. So that's immoral, right? Like if people could have a civilized discussion about the equality of man, then slavery would have been done in four days. You wouldn't have needed 600,000 people killed in a civil war. In America, of course, they got rid of slavery in Brazil just by turning the government off, right? Sorry, that's just a side note. The people always say, well, you had to fight to get rid of slavery. It's nonsense. In Brazil, all that happened was the government stopped catching the slaves. <laughs> you got 500 slaves running off in all these different directions. If the government's not picking them up, you're done. I mean, you know, oh, uh, wait, 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 maybe you're done. All right, so it's just getting rid of that, that power that, that creates the equality. So I don't really have a huge point here. Um, I just, other than to sort of illuminate this thing and, and just suggest that it's worth meditating on what bringing these ethics to your fellow inmates is is for and how volatile it is. I'm telling you, it's an amazingly powerful thing to do. I think that it can really bring people closer, but it really can drive them apart. But I'm really sort of I'm the touchy feely philosopher guy, right? So I just really want to focus on on that aspect of of the, of the conversation because okay, I'll ask it. So promise. Because we have this this difficult life. We have this. We got attacked by this brain virus called consistency and reason, right? So, you know, we're we're coughing up truth into a handkerchief. Anyway, I won't work the metaphor to death. Okay, I did. But, but we have this difficult life, right? Now, to me, having a difficult life is okay if you really achieve stuff, right? To me, that's okay, right? I mean, to, to, to me, the worst thing is to have this difficult life and to constantly have to sort of, you know, bite my tongue and, and, not, and not talk about this and not talk about that. And then someone brings up, like, Harper was really great on the piano the other day. <laughs> you know how we all have these things? Obama, he just gave a great speech. That's going to do another stimulus package. <laughs> you know, I got the paper bag. Do you all have the... <laughs> <laughs> you tell me more. Right? I mean, so... I don't mind having that difficulty. I don't mind having that conflict. I don't mind having that all the time. But I sure as hell don't want to kick off this mortal coil without having done as much traction work as possible to really change things. I don't think the argument from effect changes much. I think it's a good discussion to have. I think it's interesting. I think it's worth researching. I don't think it changes anything fundamentally. I think it's you know, a good way to, to prove that you're not insane before having the ethical conversation. But I would really suggest focusing on the true morality. And that way, we, if, we, if we fail, 
we at least won't have failed without pulling out the biggest weapon, which is which is ethics. And weapon is the wrong word, but, but you know, to use that metaphor for a sec. So that's my that's my major thing that I want to talk about tonight. I mean, if anybody has any any questions, comments, or criticisms, I'm certainly happy to hear them. But that's it for me. I had a comment. Oh no, not you. Anybody else? Censorship against you. That's right. No, I had a comment. I found that people are much more receptive to what we have to say if the question comes from them. Uh, like, I just say, oh, I don't really agree with that. And I leave it at that. And then later on, something bugs them. Well, what is it? Uh, and then you just say something and just sort of dismiss them. And by, by, by being them, the ones that are dragging or taking these things from you, they're much less explosive than if you say, well, I don't agree with this because blah, 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 blah. Right, and I think if you bring up fewer gen mutilated genitalia. Uh, that's right. <laughs> no, I think that's a good point. And I would also, I mean, the thing that I've, again, learned, which I'm sure everyone here has learned, but it's worth reinforcing is to take a, a, a politicians are really great at, at stuff that libertarians aren't so great at, right? So politicians divide people into three categories. People I'm never going to convince, people who are already convinced, and the people in the middle, right? And and they only spend time on that third category, right? I mean, the the Republicans don't call up Chelsea Clinton saying, listen, you know, Republican is the way to go, because they know that she's going to vote for Democrat, right? So uh, I think that's really key. If you just yeah put a few trial balloons out there, then the people who are curious and come back to you are the people who are open to some sort of argument and evidence. But I mean, how many of us have Right for months, for years, sometimes you get into these pound, pound, pound conversations where you're just taking years off your life for no particular purpose because people won't change. It gets nowhere, and very often, and very often, people think that you're just not compassionate right. with the poor and whatever right, 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 other things. Right. Well, and okay. I mean, if you are an empiricist, and and the argument from effect from libertarianism is all about forget what they say about social programs. What are the actual facts of these social programs? What are the measurable, tangible results? If we're supposed to be an empiricist, but we keep having the same arguments to no effect, we can't really claim to be that empirical because we're doing something that isn't working and we're continuing to do it, just like the government does, right? So we have to do the opposite of what we criticize. Yeah, well, speaking of the slavery argument, the, um, the anti-slavery abolitionists were very effective when they used the moral argument. Um, yeah. That's how they won the day, because they were considered a radical fringe. And people actually hated them, but then they started agreeing with them. And I guess that's what kind of led to that conflagration or conflagration down the US like no that's well I mean the, the US conflagration was a, yeah. I think more about federal power yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Out. But, but there was a but, moral, but the moral argument yeah. drove it in the rest of the world for sure uh, yeah. it, it drove it in in the British Empire for sure uh, it's not to say it's the only consideration but it's a very powerful one. yeah um, yeah I, I, I quite agree with you and when people say well how would roads be built in the absence of the government it's exactly the same as saying, well, if you free 500 slaves, I need you to list me all the jobs they're going to have in two years. Mm. I don't know. I don't know how the slaves are going to get jobs. I don't know what they're going to do. And slavery may be beneficial to some people who are slower or you know don't have any skills. Well, there are a lot of people 60. benefiting from this slavery. No, even our slaves. Society. I mean, yeah, I mean us. I mean, yeah, yeah, for sure. People, so yeah, I, I don't care what jobs the slaves have in two years. What I care about is that slavery is a fundamentally immoral institution, and we need to get rid of it. I mean, because it's just immoral. I don't. I don't care what happens afterwards. I mean, that's that's to focus on what happens afterwards is a ridiculous. It's a ridiculous distraction from the actual issue, right? Which is, is it moral or is it not? Well, I can see a lot of people getting very angry with that in this country, anyway, with that uh, that argument. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, because you're, you're cutting through, frankly, the bullshit, right? Yeah. The bullshit of, well, okay, so there's someone needs an MRI in a small community and there isn't enough voluntary churches to put it, I mean, come on, I mean, this is ridiculous, right? It's like saying, a, you know, a slave breaks his leg three years from now and his slave owner isn't providing the health care, so he just dies. Right. Come on, is it right or is it wrong? Is it moral or is it immoral? Forget the rest of that nonsense, it doesn't matter. Slave owner was shot. That's right, that's right. Just one last thing though, like I, I do hear when I argue, it is from the effects, not the cause. And that uh, I, I completely agree with what why you're saying that. Because the effects, everybody sees the effects, but to get at the cause, it's like touching the, the, the thing that they're just like exploding your face on. Yeah, oh, it's huge. Okay. It is yeah, no, right. I just admit you're saying, I mean, I'm an active politician right now, I can only just imagine that. Oh, it happened to me. I did that. Well, no. I can see your head like a part of the Cut it quick. <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. You're like Michael Bolton hitting a high note. Oh, yeah, no. I just shaking my head. Like, oh, I know you're right. <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily pull it out in your political career yeah. right now. Just, you know, take it for a test run with acquaintances you don't mind. Yeah, yeah. That would be my suggestion. <laughs> yeah, so. A few innocent bystanders yeah. test that the theory. But there is a way to get at it, though. There is a way to get it, but it's got to be done with with finesse. That's the only thing. It's got to be done with a lot of finesse in that bigger pie of people. Finesse, but but I think also you just have to have that kind of lazy. People will always try and distract you from that core moral argument. Because the core moral argument is completely irresistible. It is completely irresistible. It is. That's why why this guy blew up. Yeah. Because he got it. (laughs) And it's irresistible, and he couldn't take it. Emotionally, fundamentally, I mean, nobody believes the government because it's rational. People believe the government because it's stressful not to. Right. Because everybody else believes the government, right? So right. this, you have, I mean, finesse and delicacy and good humor and so on, but, you know, they all try and pull you off these sidetracks and effects and, and what ifs and this and that. But just yeah, keep going. I've been resisting the moral argument. I got a friend who doesn't resist it, but I've been resisting it, so I'm kind of yeah. like, oh my well, God. Well, we all resist it because it's, you know, yeah. it's a grenade. I mean, it's no question. Yeah. So I. I have sort of a predicament I wanted to comment on. So since that, that situation, every time, because of the effect that had on, on me, um, every time, there's, there's so many times where people say things or comment on the news when it's an opportunity for me to 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 express how I feel. Waste some time expressing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so it's, you've touched on this before, but it's like, so now I basically had a choice of, well, do I want people to like me? Or do I want to feel good about myself? Well, and of course, you can't convince people who don't like you. I mean, I hate to be Mr. Salesman, right? But I mean, I spend a lot of time in sales. And I mean, people have to kind of like you first before they'll accept things that you say. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous. I'm sorry, get your predicament in a sec. But it's true, right? I mean, you, you go into a mall, right? You see the, um, the cosmetics counter. And they don't have statistics on how well this is going to improve your skin sheen or, or reduce your wrinkles. They don't just have a bunch of statistics. What they have is, you know, 12-year-old gymnasts looking great, right? I mean, who, 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 who are movie stars, right? They have these movie stars up there. So what they're doing is you go, damn, that person looks good. I'd like to look like that. And then maybe you'll get it to the details. But uh, And to me, we don't all have to be beautiful, but what we do have to be is really consistent really consistent, which means if we're in this for the argument from effect, I just don't think there's much to it. I think I think fundamentally deep down we're in this because we want a better world, we want a more moral world, we want a more peaceful world, we want a world where people aren't doomed, where children are well educated and brought up peacefully, where uh, re- conflicts as a whole are resolved in, in a peaceful manner, where charity is actually charity and not just an enforced coercive 
enslavement of the lower classes. I mean, I think we really want that glowing city on a hill. We want that beautiful world of, of peace and plenty. And that, that is fundamentally a moral argument. And so, just to, so you say, well, I want people to like me, or I want to feel good about myself, but I don't think those two are mutually exclusive, because if they don't like you, you're not going to be able to get across to them anyway, if that, if that makes any sense. So, but sorry, I saw that was a tangent. I'm famous for them, but please get back to your... No, no, all I was going to say is now, since that situation, every time there's been, you know, my mother-in-law saying, you know, isn't it great how we support the arts and, and things like that, I just... Inside, I'm like, ah, but I'm like, mm, I don't want yelling, right? Right. right. So, so it's. I, I wanted to do, actually. Do, do they know your? They, they know your beliefs, right? Yeah, they do. Yes, yes. They were there that Christmas, and and yeah. So I actually wanted to ask: Is your you've done this um, argument for morality for many years now? Um, how have you found? Uh, building relationships, and have you chosen to just sacrifice relationships because you wanted to help hold true to, to, to your beliefs? That's a big question. Yeah. That's a big question. Uh, and I think there's a lot embedded in what you're saying that I would pull apart. I don't want to put everyone to sleep. It's this topic that people are generally... Okay, I'll, I'll, if you get, you know, if you face plans, I'll keep my eyes peeled for that. But uh, I absolutely have sacrificed some relationships because I've accepted that they're not relationships. Right, so and I'm not, this has nothing to do with your relationships. I'm just talking about my own personal experience. I absolutely have sacrificed some relationships, and I'll tell you why. I won't be in a relationship with someone who I, who my moral knowledge condemns as immoral. I, I can't do it, and, and not because I'm some noble guy, but just because to me that's abuse. I can't be. I'll give up if you were my friend, and I genuinely believe that you were supporting a criminal and or, or very criminal actions. And I don't mean like this, just you were in the mafia, right? Like I said, I was into the non-aggression principle and you were in the mafia. I couldn't be your friend because, or, or if I was your friend, I'd say, okay, well, my morals aren't really that important, so I'm going to let go of the morals so I can be friends with you. But I won't be in a relationship where my ethics condemn somebody as immoral because I think that's abusive on my part. I think that that is to be around somebody and to condemn them as immoral is kind of cruel. I either have to let go of the condemnation or I have to let go of that relationship, which isn't really a relationship. You can't have a great, warm friendship with someone you define as immoral. I just, I think that we sign a short circuit around that. So uh, that's my, again, this is, this is just my experience, but it's not like I've ended relationships because of my ideals, but uh, I have recognized that I can't, I just can't have a relationship with somebody who I condemn as immoral. And yeah, it's, it's been constantly, but on the other hand, I've had amazing new friendships that have, have come out of that, that you know, after you pull that bandit up, so to speak, you look back and you say, "Wow, that seemed like a big step at the time, but in hindsight, it's you know, it's much better." Does, I, I hope that answers to some degree. Yeah, that's totally answers. So they're only so they're only immoral if if they're awake and you're kind of pretending to be sleeping, right? So if you're yeah, trying to convince to, people that are yeah, yeah still I mean, don't quite get the morale here. Yeah, my my suggestion, you know, sorry, my my suggestion, and it's only a suggestion. Nobody can tell you what to do with your relationship. My suggestion is. Try six million different approaches, right? Just just try, you know, from this is really important to me emotionally to here's the argument from morality to here's some arguments from effect. You know, be the, you know, libertarian Tinkerbell flitting around the room, throwing your dust everywhere, you know? I, I can already see you in that too, you actually, in my mind's eye. Well, yeah. what I do behind closed doors. <laughs> That's right. I just need less restrictive clothing rules. But, um, but keep, keep trying, keep trying. I wouldn't give it up. I mean, because that avoidance to me is, is really not, it's not a great relationship to keep tiptoeing around people. 
I mean, don't make it every topic of conversation, but just keep talking and keep talking, and I think the resolution either way will, will come. So yeah, before people know they're in a state of nature, and you know, it's like my daughter's knowledge of relativity, theory of relativity. She just doesn't get it. Well, I'm not saying I do, but at least I know what it is, right? So, uh, so she's just prior to, and, and uh, but then once that light comes on. Uh, you know, people will try, oh, that lights on, quick, turn it off, right? And, and then you just keep lighting it up as gently and as positively as you can, and then they'll eventually either see it or they won't, and they'll know where to go from there. Uh, just building on, on that point, we've been talking tonight about, uh, you know, addressing issues like the sanction of the victim and, and all that sort of thing, and, uh, but also, uh, you know, in therapy, what works, right? Who's read his range? Yes. <laughs> um, so, how do you, uh, take it from working with personal relationships to the next level. I mean, like, I suspect perhaps that maybe Stefan Molyneux's past is not for everyone where you build a media empire and you have, like, like, what are your stories on what else works? Like, does news, news aggregation work? Does, like, posting work? Like, how, how, what are some of the other paths to getting these ideas out there? Well... Using uh, the internet, Twitter... Yeah, Twitter. I mean... I think those are all good things, and, and I, I mean, I use the internet a lot, but the first thing that I focus on, and it, it's a cheesy metaphor, I just wish I could come up with another one, but I can't. You need to be a lighthouse. You need to be incandescent to people in your life. When they look at what freedom is, they need to think of you. I know that's a high bar, and Lord knows I don't hit it half the time I'd like to, but to take a, a metaphor, if you live in a world of fat people, and you want them to be thin, and they think they're thin already, because they live in Carolina, in North Carolina. But nothing against South Carolina for those people who watch the video. But um, so everybody's fat, and they think that they're thin, and you're trying to get them to lose weight. What's the best thing to do? Charismatic work on uh, salesmanship techniques. That kind of thing. <laughs> Anybody? Be thin. Be thin. Be thin and say, look, cartwheels. Look, I can climb stairs without Look, I can run a marathon. Look, I can fit up a chimney for whatever reason. Right? I mean, whatever. Look, I can fit into these pants that I had to make because everybody else's pants are fat. Right? But but you you're thin, right? And and you're like you walk around and you're thin, right? And then some people will go, hey that looks good, or that guy can do stuff that I can't do, right? He can see his toes, he can, you know, he's standing up, whatever, I don't know. But but to be fit, right? So so to me, again, cheesy metaphor time, but forgive me, I was in art school, but you, you need to present yourself like a gateway through which people can see the future, through which people can see what freedom looks like. And, and freedom is what you generate in your personal life. For me, for me, it came out of just getting rid of abusive and, and destructive and relationships or things that, that didn't work in my life. That made me uh, very free. Uh, and letting go of my career to do crazy internet yelling guy in a red room, that worked for me uh, as well. But whatever it is that works for you that makes you free, that makes you self-expressed, that makes you liberated, that makes you someone that people are excited to see a possibility through. That's a terrible sentence, but, but you know what I mean, right? Uh, that so Twitter doesn't that that's all great, but if you I, I believe that 95% of communication is nonverbal, right? I mean this is fairly well established in psychological circles. So when you walk down the street, if you're a free human being, and we can be free even in this situation, you just pay them off, right? You just pay them off. <laughs> just pay them off. Give them their money, and you're free. 
right? As I've made this argument before. I would rather have a happy marriage and 50% taxation than a miserable marriage and 0% taxation. I'm much more free with 50% taxation and a happy marriage than a miserable marriage and no taxation. I mean, my parents didn't have a happy marriage and they paid far less taxes than I did and they were miserable, right? So freedom is possible for us. It's just pay the bastards off, right? Just give them their pound of flesh and, and move on. But I genuinely believe if you're a free human being, you walk down the street, you walk down the street in a way that excites people, it, it motivates people, it makes them curious, and that I think comes out of personal relationships that you'll have with people in whatever sphere you're working in. If you can do stuff on the internet, stuff through Twitter, I think that's great. But I think that we really need to show people what freedom looks like from an individual, personal standpoint, rather than lecture them about how healthcare is going to be provided in the 23rd century. I just think that is less. I mean, that's my crusade thingy, so I'm sorry if I was, was too long. Just that. So, so well, yeah, do well, the internet to, stuff, but focus on personal freedom. Yeah, to your point about the, uh, the cosmetics counter that you made earlier, um, in the early days of marketing, you did have somebody standing in front of the Frigidaire saying how great it was. Yeah, here are the stats, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then they moved on to lifestyle marketing, and if you if you drink this particular beer, you're going to get like uh, this great party at, on the on the dock. So yeah, people. I mean, the fundamental reality is that people these days they can't really think. They, they can't. I mean, they. How could they? I mean, it's like expecting them to know Mandarin, right? That they've never been taught logic. They've never been taught reasoning. They they barely know how to write. Most of them. I mean, I'm talking about the general population. Obviously, we've got a, a cluster of uh, alphas here, right, as far as intelligence goes. But the general population, that, that's why, partly why they had to switch to, uh, let's put the pretty girl in front of the cosmetics counter, because people can't really think. Uh, they don't know how to analyze statistics. They don't know how to, to reason from first principles. They don't know how to identify fallacious arguments, because they've never been taught that. It's not like it's intuitive yet. They have to learn that stuff. So we have to kind of show more than tell, if that makes any sense. Uh, and so. I always go back to, and it's completely counterintuitive, and it's hippy-dippy as all get out. And I fully, fully understand that, and it could be completely wrong. It's just the way that it's worked for me. You keep focusing on personal freedom, and through some mysterious alchemy that, that is unconscious and that is around this 95% of communication that works non-verbally, strange stuff happens for the better. Again, I'm not, I could go into more detail, but I don't want to bore everyone with that, but that's, you know, because, and you have control over that. You have control over how much freedom you're gonna have in your personal life. You don't have control as who's going to read your blog, or you know. I always try and focus on on what we have the most control of, and that's our relationships and all the things. So I'm answer that. So uh, oftentimes you, you gave the analogy of the road argument: who would build roads, who would pay for roads if, if they came up. And, and this is always the question that that comes up. And for me, it's a really simple one: is that roads were forced on us, and we structured society around them. And if you just get out of the idea that we need the roads because this is the structure of society, and think about the fact that the structure of society built itself mm -hmm. around the force of roads being put out there, and because now it's a zero cost to utilize them, because you've already paid for it with, with blood, uh, you know, you can get off of the, the idea that we need roads. Like, who's to say we wouldn't have a flying car already to address right. the, the right. need uh, to, to get from point A to point B without a road? And how, how much effect did this have on the, the railroad system that roads were subsidized by the taxpayer and railroads had to charge per mile to, to ship goods? Uh, there's so many things that it, fundamentally, if something is forced on you, you're going to use it. You're going to consume that which you've already paid for through flesh. Uh, but think outside of that and think, 
why was the road porous on us in the first place, and who profited the most from the road being built? And I don't think it would be us as individuals, because we lament them now. Everything is so far away, we can't walk to anything. It, 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 we, and environmentalists are, are, are of arms, we gotta reduce emissions, we have to have more investment in railroads. And I say, well, maybe just no investment in roads. <laughs> Well, people don't even know the history of roads, right? I mean, yeah. roads were built, like the Roman Empire, roads have always been built for military reasons, right? So, I mean, in America, they built the roads because they were afraid of nuclear war. And the only reason you have an interstate highway system is because they wanted to be able to get troops around the country in case of nuclear war. So, that's, that's not a good reason. There's an old cartoon I remember, I can't remember where it's from, probably the New Yorker, where there are these, these, these two Russian housewives in this Soviet-era lineup to infinity to, to, to get bread, and it's like minus 12,000 degrees outside, and they're huddling and, and shaking, and they're like, oh, one of them says to the other, it's like, oh, this white, this cold, I've been here for hours just for a single loaf of bread, how terrible. And the other one turns back and says, oh, yes, but you know, in the capitalist countries, the government doesn't even distribute the bread. <laughs> and I think that's very telling, which is, in a state of freedom, we to look at this and say, well, if the government didn't distribute the bread, we'd starve. No, 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 you've got a lot of us and you pick it up for a buck, right? <laughs> When Gorbachev met uh, Margaret Thatcher uh, the first time and he went to Britain, he looked at things and he asked her, how do you make sure that they all get food? <laughs> you really asked her. Right? And she does it. <laughs> she does it. <laughs> My argument over healthcare is surely food, clothing, and shelter are far more prerequisites mm. to good health but the government doesn't provide them, does it? The problem is that they may agree with that. Yes, and that's the problem. <laughs> the they, they say, oh yeah, socialized housing, that would be great for everybody. And yeah, food, yeah, that would be great. And I mean, I think I think libertarian, I've got a whole series called Statism is Dead on YouTube, which you might want to check out, but I, I think libertarianism has done a fantastic and underappreciated job in that, I can't even remember the last time a major government program that was new was, was put forward. I mean, there's some extensions, like they want to get junior kindergarten and, and all that, right? Uh, and there's these stimulus packages, but that's just warmed over Keynesianism, right? So, but, but it's been a long time since a major new government initiative has been proposed. I mean... The NDIP will have everything they ask for. Yeah, they have, and, and so does Karl Marx, in fact. Like, Ten out of the twelve planks in the Communist Manifesto <laughs> has already been, been instituted in the West. So, I mean, I think we've done a, we've done a great job in a sense of, of putting balloons, uh, sorry, puncturing the balloons of, of further statism, there's been no takeover of the computer industry or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, so from that standpoint, I think a lot of good has been done. And statism as a philosophy, I, I, it, I just, nobody really buys into it. There's just a lot of inertia. Nobody really is like, the government should take over everything. And, like, nobody really says that, except maybe that Marxist professor I had 20 years ago or whatever, but it's not a very common argument to hear. So I, hopefully people would go and let's take over. I was taking it to, an, to a greater yes. extent, but like uh, one time I was having a discussion with somebody and I, I was trying to tell them, look, what uh, people should have the freedom to buy any food they want. Uh, uh, you can't just come with the stroke of a pen and say that everybody, that all foods have to be organic. And then this person said, yes, that would be fabulous. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm sorry, can I just interrupt you for a second? Go for it. I'm going to just yeah. focus in on a few words that you use that yes. I think I would suggest that you Go might change, it. right? Yes. So the first thing you say is stroke of a pen. Yeah. Government is not a stroke of a pen, as we know, right? Yeah. Government is an unholstering of a gun. 
That's true. There, I mean, I can, I can do, I can write all the things I want. Very true. So uh, it's not so much people should be allowed to. I think that's a very neutral way of putting it. And this comes back to the argument for morality that I'm going to continue to focus on, right? Which is that uh, the question is, should people who want to buy non-organic be shot? <laughs> Would you shoot someone for buying non-organic? And if the person says yes, then run, right? Yeah. <laughs> and run and roll and duck and weave and all that. It, it comes down to, and it's stark and it's volatile, but it, it is the reality, right? We need to look at the moral reality. They pass a law saying you have to buy organic. What happens is if people don't buy organic or they, they smuggle, I think there's some trouble that you can't buy, that people have to smuggle and if they're caught, what happens is then people get arrested and if they resist, they're gonna get shot. Right, so we are talking about the application of violence, the initiation of the use of force. It's not a stroke of a pen, and it's not should people be allowed to, because be allowed to, I don't allow my daughter to walk on the road. Right, so it's a very neutral way, but I'm not going to shoot her for walking on the road, right? I, I, so I think you really have to focus on would you, would you support people being aggressed against violently for not doing what you want? And nobody's going to say yes to that. And I think that you have to really put it in that starker terms, because that is the... The beginning of wisdom, as they say, is to call things by their proper names, and it is the initiation of force that we're opposing. We are the superheroes of pacifism. That's true. I know, I need the cape. Thank you. It is that, anyway, yeah, that my thank you very much. I I hope I'm not monopolizing the conversation, by the way. No, we're not monopolizing for a bit. My question for you is, I assume that you weren't always uh, this good at being able to communicate your ideas and this good at reasoning. So could, would you mind giving us a little bit of your journey through like, developing your ability to communicate? No. Well, we're assuming that I'm good. But um, uh, I was not particularly good uh, at it when I was younger. I mean, it's a lot of practice. You know, if you've ever read Malcolm Gladwell's um, Outliers, uh, it's just practice, practice, practice. I think it's really important. 10,000 hours. Yeah, 10,000 hours. That's right. I did actually add it up, and it's not that far off. But, but so there's, there's a couple of things that I would suggest. Um, First of all, the, the great challenge, I mean, I was nervous getting up in here and it's a different kind of venue for me or whatever, right? But the important thing is, to, I gotta put my own ego aside, put myself aside. You know, if you have a friend that you're gonna introduce to some woman that you like and you think they're gonna make a great couple, right? So you, you arrange a sort of three-way, you arrange a three-way <laughs> You get the candles. You put on the Barry White, no, I'm kidding. So you, 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 you get your dinner together, right? You're not gonna be thinking about yourself, right? So you've got you know, Bob and Sally that you wanna introduce and you think you're gonna make a great couple. What you're gonna be interested in is Bob's reaction and Sally's reaction to each other. You're not gonna be thinking about yourself particularly, right? Mm -hmm. So I think what I'm trying to do is I'm introducing some arguments that I think are important and true to you guys. The important thing is for me to introduce the arguments, it's not about, it's not about me, it's about you know, looking and trying to sort of see, does this mean anything, is this valuable, is this important, is this helpful? And trying to sort of read that from, you know, people's body language, so they're sort of this, and not, you know, that, right? So, uh, it really is, for me, it's around, a lot around putting the ego aside, and just being a channel for better arguments to impact upon someone. Because if, if it's an ego-based thing, then it becomes win-lose. And, I mean, if you're, 
so if you're introducing this thing called the truth to someone and you're hoping they're going to have a long and meaningful relationship, then you're focusing on those two people's, in a sense, reactions. And if they end up not liking each other, it's not, it's not bad for you, right? It's not, it's not negative towards you. It's just, well, I introduced the truth to this person. They didn't like it. I think that's a real shame. But, you know, life goes on. It's not they've rejected me and my arguments and my history and my values and right. It's just, it's about the truth, which is sort of a third party thing and people introducing them and seeing if they like each other. Does that yeah. make any sense? It yeah. takes the ego out and makes it much more around uh, 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 just trying to make those connections with, with people. Yeah. Yeah. And drink. <laughs> a question about uh, the getaway car. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, I mean, you, you assume that Johnny didn't know what Joe was doing in the bank there. Um, but if you did know, if he did know, you'd be no point talking to him, right? Right. Well, my problem is that aren't we all driving the getaway car? Aren't we cooperating and participating and taking advantage of education, healthcare, whatever? Yeah, I mean that's that's a it's a very very important perspective. <laughs> I reject it completely, uh, which I could be wrong about, but I reject it completely because I'm not responsible for the system that was put in place generations, if not millennia, before I was born. Right? I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm not. So people say, uh, you know, it's the live in the woods argument. And to be a consistent libertarian, you must live in the woods. You must not use public roads. You must never go and see a doctor. You must never have taken a university class or you know whatever. Right? But I didn't make the system, right? I mean, I'm just trying to survive within it. And to me, uh, since I'm really interested in maximum freedom, going to live in the woods doesn't strike me as particularly free. Because, you know, there are bears. Bears and freedom, don't. Don't you remember the call? So that would be, you know, you try and do, do your best to maximize freedom within it. But the same, by the same argument, the abolitionists would have never been able to eat anything because some of it in some places would have been. Uh, produced by slave labor, and therefore they would have to go live in the woods, and we'd still have slavery. I think you still you, you need to stay in the world and keep engaging with the world to make it better. But I'm not going to take the smearings—not that you're smearing me—but to take the smearings of a system that I have to survive in, and and hopefully do some good in. I'm just not going to let the negatives of that system stick to me because I didn't design it, and I reject its very ethic. I've been a long time from old life in my career. And I since I've had any high long time. Yeah. Anyway, I even ran into politics, believe it, twenty years ago. Anyway, uh, I keep wrestling with one thing and that's individual rights to to democracy in a community. And I'd just love to hear about the idea. Individual How rights to democracy? Like let's say you have a community where we all want to not have this apartment building being built. But my rights are, I don't want it there because I own my own property. Right. But the community hasn't got, does it have the power to stop the building or not? And should we have that power? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's, I, I think we don't recognize that. I mean, I've, I've, done a, I, about, I've got a video on this on YouTube called The Government Has Tool, which you might have heard about. that one. Right, so <laughs> the basic argument is if, if I have a, a house overlooking a ravine, I don't want somebody to build an apartment building in front of that. So I need to just buy that land. You know, I need to buy that right, the house, and if I didn't, you know, well, that's just too bad. I do think that there are uh, standards that communities can very powerfully enforce. 
without. I mean, ostracism is an incredibly powerful social tool. I think we all know that, right? Because that's your that's your Christmas story. Right? It's like you go one step further, right? And, and so ostracism is very powerful. We are, and will forever remain, I believe, very tribal and very gathering. And we we all want approval. We all want acceptance from our peers. That's very natural. And I think that's just built in. And so I think that uh, if somebody's just a complete asshole in society, for want of a better phrase, people would just not want to do business with them. No, but, but the government comes along and says, well, that building over there is going to generate taxes for the uh, the parasitical side. Yeah, yes. And we can't stop it. Right. Because our community doesn't matter. Right. And so somebody else is now controlling that. Right. And this is the thing that with, um, with a free society, people will always come up with problems that are about a free society and they'll be tricky to solve. And I, I of course, the funny thing is, is that if I could answer every question yeah, in a free society, yeah, we wouldn't have one because I should run everything, right? So, of course, nobody knows everything about how free society should work. The moment anybody says, I know exactly how a free society should work, they're just a statist in disguise because they think they know everything, they should be the central planner. But what I think, what I think is true is that the, what I found back to people who's not, not you, but people who say, well, what about zoning laws in a free society? It's like, what about zoning laws in a status society? Like, Terrible. It's like saying, you know, well, you know, uh, uh, here's a pill that will magically cure your cancer, but, you know, it might give you an occasional headache. What about those headaches? It's like, well, what about the cancer? You know, like, I mean, what about the system that we have right now? Uh, and, you know, wars and, and deaths and, and people being thrown in jail and so on. I mean, America, has, it's got the highest incarceration rate of the world, far higher than the Chinese per capita. It's, it's insane. One out of only 30 people in the U.S. is involved in the justice system to one degree or another on right. the victim side. I mean, it's, it's a prison planet down there. So I sort of say, so will you live with some risky zoning to let two million people out of jail? I mean, if somebody says no, then it's like, okay, you take your step back and you know this is somebody who's crazy. Um, Are you already? Yeah, uh, that kind of leads into, uh, in many ways, a trillion dollar question or whatever the federal budget is this year. Um, for stated societies, how do you roll back that state? Because in, in many ways, it is a one-way ratchet, or racket, I suppose, um, without hurting those whom we do have a lot of empathy for, like the, the indigent people who become dependent on the state. Like, um, you know, we can't answer all those questions, but um, one thing that comes to mind uh, that was suggested by Ron Paul was like, for example, in terms of fiat currency, it's like, well, why don't we uh, allow free competition between gold and fiat currency and see which one wins, you know? But <laughs> of course, there's all these legal tender laws. And, yeah, uh, that's not going to happen. But what about all these other things like uh, you know the welfare state and, and, and the roads and et cetera, et cetera, and all these things that people are going to throw at you when you're having these uh, moral debates? Well, again, I would say it doesn't matter how they're solved. I mean, what matters is that it's moral. We have to have agreement on the immorality of it before we can go any further. If I can't get agreement on the morality of the thing, then it's something I was just listening to a book called uh, by Christopher Hitchens uh, called Letters to a Young Contrarian. It's, it's very interesting. So he, in 89, he got involved in a bunch of debates about, remember Solomon Rushdie and the Satanic Verses and the Ayatollah in Iran put a spit out on him, basically, right? And so he'd get involved in these debates. And he would say to people, he said, let me just get one thing clear up front. May I assume that you are, without reservation, morally completely opposed to the hiring a hitman to kill a literary figure? And he said, if I didn't get agreement on that, there was no debate. Because if you can't, you can't debate ethics and society and how things should run with people who can't even accept that using violence to get your way is wrong. If they're not willing to see that and accept that and understand that. So the first thing I would say is, let's forget about the, how the roads and can we at least agree? 
that the initiation of force is immoral? Can we at least agree that taxation is the initiation of force? Can we at least agree that the government is an agency that uses violence? Now, they may say, well, that violence is necessary and it's good, and this, but can we at least get that far, that we, we, we get the basic mechanics of what the state is? Otherwise, you're arguing apples and oranges. They think the state is some benevolent charity that with a stroke of a pen, you know, liberates artists from penury and, and, and heals the sick, and then, then you're just saying, let's get rid of, of Jesus, right? I mean, people don't want that. So if, if they think that the state is a benevolent agency that helps people, and you're arguing against it, well, you can't ever talk people out of what they think is good. So I would just first focus on, on the ethics. I believe it's a multi-generational solution. I don't think I'll live to see it. Um, there are young people here who might. I don't think I'll live to see it. I think it's a multi-generational solution. I think that in the sciences, it's well known that old theories, uh, people who believe in old theories don't get converted. They just retire. And then new people come along, right, who then get calcified in their thinking. I think that you can't change the mind of the, most people who are older about the state. But I think that young people will have more opportunities to think more clearly. Plus, older people got their experience of the state accumulating too well people like you right yeah so for those people you can't undo that because there's a lot of guilt there right I mean there's a lot of guilt in the old generation about this magic money machine that is now the bill is coming due and they're about to retire they can't feel fundamentally very good about that that whole messed up situation right so uh, so I don't think that you could help people like that because their experience was it was hey it was free you know my taxes didn't really go up and I got all this free stuff right um, but younger people We'll see things, I think, a little bit more clearly because their opportunities are diminished, uh, their education was crap. When uh, we'll get into all of that, but but anyway, and so I think I think it's a multi-generational solution. I focus on the ethics and uh, focus on the younger people who think see things a lot more clearly. I, I did like your suggestion about getting the old folks on side. Oh yeah, the one I did in the video. Yeah, yeah. Basically saying if, if you would like for old age for old age pensions, as long as you admit to me that you had no control over the system. Because if you had control over the system, and it basically is pillaging the younger generation, then you should be responsible for that. Just as I was responsible for things when I was a kid, and you shouldn't get your pension. Because you knowingly stole from the younger generation for a scheme that couldn't possibly sustain itself, so too bad to be you. But if you admit that it wasn't your fault, you had no control, then I'm happy to pay your pension. But then we have to change the system, because it did things that had a control. Sorry. Now, Tom's question and your answer is the same thing as the, the, when, when Prior to slavery being abolished, before everyone realized how bad it was, there was this, well, what are we going to do without the slaves? How are we going to run it? How are we going to cook for ourselves? How do we get, well, you know, just get rid of the slaves. Yeah, we'll you know, figure it out. There's a, there's a good example in history that at the end of the Second World War, there were millions of troops coming back to North America. And there was a huge government agency that was created try and funnel all of these troops into the jobs because all of these people are just going to step off the boats and there aren't going to be any jobs for them and the society's going to collapse and they're all well armed and then right blah, 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 right? Well, they knew that. But what happened was they spent two and a half years getting this agency or something like that up and running and by the time that the agency was up and running, unemployment was about two and a half percent and everybody just had a job, right? So everybody's like, oh, how is this conceivably going to work? And it'll just work. It'll just work because nonviolence works. We understand that nonviolence works in relationships, which is why we don't have forcibly arranged marriages anymore. We understand that nonviolence works in music, which is why you don't get forced to buy a particular CD. I mean, we understand that nonviolence works. We just have to, you know, yeah. the trick is shifting. Further, right? You have to shift the responsibility from you to let them figure it out. 
As to how things should work in society, you're actually a closet statist. Because nobody knows. That's the whole point. Did you? Okay. Uh, sorry, What's your thoughts on the political process? Does it make sense to participate in parties and try to get elected and all that? I put him on the spot in a libertarian yeah. meeting. <laughs> I'll rebut later. I was, yeah, please do. Uh, look, I, I, I'm a huge fan of libertarian communication. I think that, that, that a lot of my early, um, I shouldn't say early, because it was like 20 years of objectivism in Ayn Rand, and was very politically active. Mario Rothbard, who was a staunch anarchist, was, uh, became a staunch anarchist, was very, very politically active. Uh, Ron Paul, obviously, it's hard to know exactly what he thinks of government, but I think less to the point of nothing is, is where he's coming from, but he obviously has a lot of effect on getting people's uh, interest up in libertarian topics. I think from an educational standpoint, there is some value. I think there is some some drawbacks. Um, so for instance, I mean, a lot of younger people are less fundamentalist religious than Ron Paul is. I mean, Ron Paul rejects evolution. So for a lot of younger people coming out there, they're like, they associate libertarianism with the rejection of evolution, which I don't think is exactly the message you want to be bringing to younger people, because then it puts you in a particular kind of category for them that I think is kind of old fogey. Now, of course, he is a bit of an old fogey, which, you know, I soon want to talk about that. But um, So I think that there are advantages. Um, I think that it's useful to get the message out to people who otherwise wouldn't get out of it. I do not personally believe that freedom is going to come from political change. I do not think that you can go into a behemoth like the government and use it to reduce the size and power of the government. I think it's going to come through other ways. But I also don't think that there are many people in this room who think that we're about to win the federal election, right? So I think that the education aspect is important, but I think that I think it's important to remember that it is an educational. It's, it's a fantastic way and a, a, a very heavily subsidized way in some ways to get out there and get the message across to people who will then pursue that line of thinking to other areas. But I don't think that it's going to be that the Libertarian Party or Ron Paul or Rand Paul or any of those people are going to get into sufficient power to begin to reduce the size and power of the state. I think the state is designed to plunder and grow and destroy. And so I don't think you can get in and turn that around. Otherwise, you know, let's just infiltrate the mafia and turn them into the United Way. Nobody would think of doing that, right? So I wouldn't think of doing that in terms of the government. But I do think that it's a good way to get the message out about nonviolent solutions to social problems. Is that? Is that is that the fence city? Is that the fence city? Uh, but I will. Um, so that uh, just so that Teresa can go home, which is our waitress, uh, so she can get all your bills and collect the money and that sort of thing. <coughs> anyway, um, I agree with you in terms of political action. Uh, the Libertarian Party philosophy objective, shall we say, is to spread the word. Okay? Uh, I believe there's lots of people out there who think libertarian but never don't know that we exist. So uh, part of our effort is to let them know that we do exist, that they aren't alone. Okay. And so as part of that, uh, the next provincial election, which thank goodness we know when it's going to happen, where 